Hello everyone and welcome back to the Climate Alarm Clock podcast, Ireland's climate news podcast. We will be back with season two of the podcast at the end of the month, bringing you our weekly climate news roundup and a mix of environmental features, interviews and stories. But today we're here for a special look at the latest IPCC report, which came out this week. I'm joined by Anna Pringle. Anna, how are you doing? Welcome back. Thanks, Dara. Good to be back. And we're also joined by our new presenter, uh, Kira Daly. Kira, how are you keeping? Well, hello, Dara. Thank you for having me here. Um, you're more than welcome. You're more than welcome. So we're looking at the IPCC AR6 WG2 Climate Change 2022 Impacts Adaptation and Vulnerability Report. Sounds like a fabulous car model. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so Kira, when you hear that name, what what uh, what do you want to know? What do you need to know? Well, I am familiar with the title, the IPCC report. I know that it's not great news and that's about as far as it goes. So basically, I want to know what it is. Yeah, yeah. So I suppose what's it about and why is it important? It's important because it's such a comprehensive look at climate change uh so it's the best climate scientists have come together under this un uh body called the intergovernmental panel on climate change and they make these reports basically for governments to help them better understand climate change and design their policies and the way they operate around that around the best available science so this report that came out on monday is Basically, they, every few years they do these massive reports, and this is just the second part of their sixth report, looking at adaptation. I mean, one of the things about these reports is there's a lot of terminology that you have to step back and say, what do we mean by this? Um, adaptation, at its simplest, is just the process of adjusting to climate and to climate change and and. From a human point of view, it's the process of what do we do differently in society in order to adjust to climate change. Um, natural systems adjust too. So, for example, birds now migrate less or the birds move further north because it's hotter in the south. That's that's natural systems adjusting to climate change. So the question for us as humans is what do we need to do to adapt our human systems to address climate okay, change? Okay, so this report is... Basically, if I'm understanding you, basically a roadmap of what we're going to do. Like, I'm taking from what you're saying, we're already on the path for a bit of destruction. So this is our strategy of how we're going to survive and kind of mitigate it. Would yeah, that be right? it's, it's an assessment and a roadmap. So it's an assessment of how adaptation is going currently and the current state of it around the world. And then it does have some recommendations for how to become more resilient and more able to adapt. Yeah, and I think... And that, go ahead, Darren. I think a roadmap is a, a really nice way of describing it. Uh, just to jump in, when you said mitigated, that's actually a very loaded term in, in climate change. When we talk about mitigation, that's that's um, that's actually reducing emissions. So that's getting emissions down to lessen the impacts. This report is looking at how do we cope with the impacts. So a huge problem with climate change that I think is really misunderstood is that the climate is going to keep on changing as a result of the emissions we've already put out there. So even 
if we stopped all emissions today because the because the co2 is still up there it's still trapping more of the sun's heat the planet's going to keep on warming so there's things we know there's changes we've we've already seen and that's what the start of the report is it's like this has happened these things have changed in nature these things have changed with people and then the second part is looking at these are changes that are going to happen. When I was reading it, the first two sections, it's nearly like, do you remember when you'd be doing your Irish verbs in school? And it'd be like, who we made the past tense? And then, like, I went and then I will go. It's like, this bad thing has happened. This bad thing will happen in the future. And then if we don't reduce emissions, <gasps> the Mokaniluk, Mo isn't it? <laughs> this terrible, no. terrible thing will happen. This report is like the Mokaniluk. <laughs> that is not a good thing. But this doesn't sound like a very nice roadmap. Um, <laughs> no, but then, so I suppose, I suppose, no, it's not. It's it's really scary. The stuff that has happened is scary. The stuff that definitely will happen is scary. And the stuff that potentially will happen if we don't reduce emissions is absolutely terrifying. And there's no getting around that. Now, I guess the this report for me one thing that really gave me a lot of hope was how it tied all those things together. So traditionally, climate change and climate action would have been broken into how do we get the emissions down, mitigation on one side, how do we adapt, how do we prepare for the impacts on the other side. And this report is far more holistic. So it's acknowledging we need to bring those things together, but then it's also bringing in lots of other crises like the biodiversity crisis, like the fact that lots of species are going extinct. And to be really clear, like, even if we didn't have climate change, our natural world would still be in loads of trouble. We've cut down loads of forests. We've, in Ireland, we've drained all our bogs. Animals are going extinct. And so even if we didn't have climate change, the natural world would be in trouble. And what this report is saying is, and it was a huge take home for me, is, if we tackle these problems together, that's our best chance of solving them. So it highlighted a role for nature, saying that nature can be your best friend. And if we just give nature a chance, that if we just give space for nature, so for example, natural flood defenses, if we had our properly functioning bogs, that would help us um, in Ireland reduce our flood risk. Um, and it would also protect biodiversity. If and we bringing have nature into cities, Dara. Bring, one yeah. thing it talks about as well is bringing nature into cities and how important that is. So, for example, having more trees in cities will reduce the heat impact of the city and will make cities more and will clean the air more and so on. Yeah, so it's it's really, I think it's really important how it's integrating ecosystems into human systems. Um, I think that's a, a very powerful way to think about it. Um. Yeah, there was one. There was one point. There was one. I I haven't got the exact quote, but there was one bit that really stood out to me about basically how we need to fix our relationship with nature. You know that we've been, we've been, we've had a very broken, exploitative relationship with nature for the last two hundred and fifty years, in particular, uh, and it's amazing. Like basically, the impacts that are going to come. It's saying that animals and plants that have existed for hundreds of millions of years are now going to experience conditions that they might not be able to survive because of what we've done in the last 250 years, um, which is which is absolutely insane. But, but the positive, the real positive of that is if we allow space for nature, 
that nature can help us in so many ways because we need nature for our clean water we need nature for food we need nature as anna said to to keep temperatures down in cities for example for clean air so if when we tackle climate change when we adapt we rely on nature that will help us to solve a lot of problems so i mean the role of nature that's something that i'm interested in uh preserving personally i'm already annoyed by the return of traffic uh covering up the beautiful sounds of the birds outside my house but what you're saying actually sounds bloody worse to be honest so what else have i got to worry about in that report come on give it to me (laughs) oh Uh, everything (laughs) i think probably something else that i know you're a fan of kira um from a past life as a blogger food (laughs) oh no what are they gonna do they're gonna take away the food (gasps) no more avocados well i don't mind the avocados but if they take away cheese I hope you have <laughs> You're going to have to be eating vegan cheese, Kira. Yeah, That's and I know Dara's already coming for me with the cheese. Uh, <laughs> Protesting ha- outside of my house. I've encountered some amazing vegan cheese in the last little while, actually. <laughs> but uh, but that's neither here nor there. So a bit like a bit like nature, the world has changed so much that that um, that places where we've been able to grow food for thousands of years, we'll no longer be able to to grow food. Um, and I don't know if you that's pretty serious yeah it is why is no one talking about that (laughs) so that's 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 obviously a huge part of the problem that uh, this report has come out and normally it will be headline news in fairness it's the one time almost that you can guarantee RTE will will talk about it but obviously with events in Ukraine uh, it's it's understandable that it wasn't headlines but it is disappointing how little coverage there's been so yeah um glo- globally um food is threatened in loads of ways uh food is threatened by drought by extreme weather um by flooding but then it's also threatened by um by an increase in diseases so for example in places where maybe you don't get frost anymore microbes that would normally be killed off in the winter won't be killed off because the world is warming we have um we have insects and and pests that are expanding their ranges and and being a threat being a threat in countries where they wouldn't have previously been a threat uh, so food is being challenged in loads of different ways and one there's actually one I didn't really look at too many of the charts but there's one chart in there that shows how many events there have been where food has suddenly been lost um, in the last 40 or 50 years and that's really increasing you know where you might have a crop that's just about to be harvested and then suddenly a mad flood comes and it's ruined and that's increasing dramatically Um and once one thing I would say though is Ireland not in a position to kind of help the world with that because we're always hearing about how we're such great farmers we've brilliant food to export like surely we're going to be fine like the Irish are going to save the day <laughs> only if the I'll, world nope. wants to eat beef and <laughs> lamb uh, yeah uh, yeah yeah so come on guys you're stri- not filling me with hope here so, so this so this so this for me is You've actually gotten to a good point here, Kira. 
this is part this is part for me this is like one of the things that gave me hope um is that when it's saying about fixing nature and and fixing food that one it actually mentions it actually mentions how climate change is impacting small farmers small producers that's that's happening a lot now a lot of these things it's sort of talking in in the developing world context but that's happened here in ireland that um we've seen our small farmers disappear and this this report is saying that closer to nature farming more farming diversification will help us so the problem we have in ireland is we grow we produce loads of beef loads of dairy we export 90 percent of it and we import 80 percent of our food and in our beef and dairy thing in our intensification of that we that's what's created huge problems for biodiversity in ireland it's created problems with water pollution in ireland and we talked about this in the last season of the podcast and now actually this report is saying that it's saying you solve all the problems together so the solution in ireland is to diversify our farming it is to produce more of our own food and that's adaptation that's getting preparing for climate change but it's also mitigation because for example if you replace a field of cattle with an orchard of of apple trees that's then absorbing carbon as well and it's making the soil more resilient to drought and flooding and it's improving our water quality so that was one thing for me in the report is that it's brought together all this most recent research and it's really vindicating people that are saying we need massive changes to our agriculture system in Ireland because nothing else will do and also I am selfish about it <laughs> I do want to make sure that we food in Ireland do you know what I mean like <laughs> you know I don't care I get I awful <laughs> grumpy when I haven't had my lunch so imagine a few days I know. I mean, yeah, if the no, government knew what I look like with a bit of a <laughs> hanger on me, <laughs> they'd strike up a bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, so that that was that food? was one for that was one for food, uh, and once again, that sort of talks about multi-solving, talks about the co-benefits of changing our food system. That's really relevant to Ireland, and really, really would help us adapt. Yeah. Yeah, I'm like the report says that adaptation strategies that reduce food loss and waste or support balanced diets also contribute to nutrition, to health, to biodiversity and other environmental benefits. So it's all connected. I think that comes across very strongly in the report. So if we do something positive on food in Ireland, it connects to so many other things uh, that it's, it's always worth doing. So these strategies that you're talking about, are these, like, who are these for? Are they for me? Are they for the lad up the road who owns an organic farm are they for my TD are they for businesses I could go on who are they who are they actually for and, and the answer is all of the above and in the when they were launching the report the IPCC was asked that question and, and what they said is that look the their summary is for policy makers so that's governments so they said that it's for governments it's for big business it's for international organisations but also individuals can play a role as well. Just they're not the, the main driver and the main role that individuals can play is to organise, take action, vote, you know, and as you said, get onto your TDs when you see issues that you need, that you think need addressed. But it's but it needs an, a coordinated response from every entity across the globe, really. 
The report explicitly mentioned mentioned that of who is it for and who needs to be doing the action. And it says governance arrangements and practices are presently ineffective to reduce risks, reverse path dependencies and maladaptation and facilitate climate resilient development. So what that basically means is it's saying the way that we're running our countries and the way that we're running the world at the moment isn't working in terms of reducing climate risks, in terms of tackling climate change and in terms of adapting. And so what it's saying is the places, and once again, it's about solving lots of problems, the places where climate action is is most effective and where adaptation is most effective is in places where there's a push for equality. So it mentions gender loads. It mentions how women are going to be affected more. And it also mentions how we're better at solving problems when women are involved. It mentions indigenous communities a lot and how when they're involved and their indigenous knowledge is taken on board that um, that we're better at adapting. So it says climate governance will be the most effective when it has meaningful and ongoing involvement of all societal actors from local to global levels. Actors including individuals and households, communities, governments at all levels, private sector, businesses, NGOs, indigenous people, religious groups and social movements at many scales and in many sectors. Um, so so what, it's, what the report is explicitly saying is it is for all of us. And so back to that idea of transformational change, we need a transformation in the way that we run countries in the way that we run the world. And part of that transformation is people being more engaged and people being more active. So your response to this report could be joining a community group. It could be joining a community group that lobbies your TDs. It could be just going to council meetings or whatever. There's so many ways that you can do it. It could be hosting a podcast. Um, but once again, like it does, that's scary in one way because it highlights this is a massive problem and we need everything to change. If you're being really positive and optimistic about it, that means, well, there's loads of stuff I can do. I can literally jump in anywhere and and I'm helping. Yeah, Dara, I think one risk with that is that you could look at that and go, well, there's no point in me doing anything because all of these governments have to agree and it, it, you could risk that it's um, nobody takes action because we're all waiting for everybody to take action in a coordinated way. But actually, I think if you think of it from a systems point of view, the more the more points in the system that are acting, the more likely it is that there will be that systems change that we need. So I think one of the big takeaways from this report is that there is plenty of action still to be taken. Um, the, the Secretary General of the UN, Antonio Gutierrez, he took a break from talking about Ukraine to launch this report and he made a really strong speech. And Kira, if you don't want to read the report, I would really recommend watching his speech. It's only seven or eight minutes and it's very accessible language. But for him, he said there's two, t- two key takeaways from the report for him. One was that um, basically fossil fuels are killing us. I'm paraphrasing, but that is almost what he said. I'll tell you what exactly he said. He said that, well, you know, yeah, two core truths. He said, first, he said, coal and other fossil fuels are choking humanity. And that was his words, head of the UN. And But then the second core finding, he said, is better news because he said that one of the things that this report shows is that if you invest in adaptation, it works. And, and we need to make those investments and they can work and they do work. So... So that's why um, 
action still matters and we still need to have everybody taking action as much as they can. Yeah, yeah, and and it does it does specifically mention that what we do in this ne- next decade is absolutely crucial. So funnily, I think that's kind of touched on the last on the last point that I that I would have brought up which is that we know that we're going to have to adapt. Okay, we know that there are changes coming, but we don't know the extent of the changes. So what is really, really important, as well as adapting, as well as changing those things, is reducing our emissions. Because if we continue to pump emissions into the atmosphere, the warming is going to get more and we're going to have to adapt more. So it is really, really important to to uh, to reduce emissions and and to call out the fact that everyone like so many people are failing like the government are failing massively the media are failing massively and to to call that out and to i i can't remember who i heard that said that the report is really it really shows that the people who are shouting about how bad this are going to get <laughs> are right to be shouting because it is because it is um because it is that it is that bad and it is going to get worse if we don't rapidly change stuff um in the next decade right so sounds like i've got a bit of work to do here i mean i think kira one of the things i i don't know how many of these reports i've read at this point um but i think one of the things that always hits me is that it is overwhelming to read and and it's not very accessible language either so you're reading it and it can be long lists of of points and scientific language and so on so it can be very overwhelming and then the takeaway from it is this is all negative and what can I do maybe I should just ignore all this um you know and and that's a valid response I completely understand that um I think you know what I've found over the years of reading this stuff is you know I try to take some key points from it try to understand the main things that I feel are important and then I try to, you know, step back from it as well and think about what are some things we can do day to day? What are some actions we can take? Um, what do I need to pay attention to? Because I can't pay attention to all of the science in it because there's so many, I mean, there's hundreds of scientists have put this together. They can't all pay attention to it either. So I think I need to understand for myself, I'm more of a big picture person. I need to understand what are my key points and my key takeaways that I need to understand from this and what difference does that make in my life. That's really great to hear because that is something that I always feel around this topic. I mean, topic seems like an undersell for climate change, but anyway, um, just that kind of overwhelming and then thinking like, I don't even know where to start. So hearing you say that definitely helps. Um, and it definitely then, like even after this, I feel so much better Uh, able to go and have a conversation around the topic with friends and family who we would never talk about this but I am you know I am in that phase where I want to talk about it and I know people want other people in my life want to talk about it so I mean is there any merit to even just having conversations around this absolutely like absolutely and I think I think um and I think like I said earlier that you know, the people that are shouting from the rooftops about how crazy it is, 
they're probably closest to the truth than anyone else that's out there talking about climate change at the moment. And I think that that's that's kind of consoling to know <laughs> when you go to talk about climate change because you're like, geez, this thing's going to happen and and uh, and it's really bad. And if you're talking to people that aren't in the know, they'll say, well, geez, Kira's Kira's going a bit off the rails there, isn't she? But you're not. You're just. Uh, you're just talking about what the science is, but normalizing those conversations and normalizing that is a is a hugely important part of it. Shifting, shifting the conversation, shifting what it is even acceptable to talk about is massively, massively important. It is. Yeah. And I would just one thing I would say about that is it's not that it's going to happen in some far off future. It is happening now and we are seeing the effects now. Uh, in Ireland and in other countries, so I think it's I think it's important that we can make that point to people, and s- people st- still won't want to know about it, and that's okay; they don't have to. But if enough people get involved or take even small actions, it can become a, you know a movement, a critical mass that can make change happen. Um, lovely sentiment there, Anna, and. Uh a lovely way to finish off so we will be back with season two for people who want to find out what's going on and what they can do and also do check out our social media platforms in the meantime we're on twitter at the climate alarm and on facebook and instagram at the climate alarm clock uh see you all in a few weeks thanks anna thanks kira thanks Thanks, guys for the bad news (laughs) 